Well, you'd have heard me read that um, bit this morning where I was reading from Matthew. Um, a lot of that thing in Matthew is talking about, you know, getting close to Jesus. And, I, you know, this is a broken record that you hear lots, but I so see that we are a people, not just a church, not just a building, but a people who really want to go deeper with Jesus who really want to have that relationship with him. And if you're anything like me, you'd have discovered in your journey as a Christian, a number of you have been believers for a long time, you discovered that following Jesus isn't always like on an upward trajectory. It has ups and downs and, and difficulties and challenges. It's not always straightforward. And, and I think a key question in the Christian life, in, a, in being a follower of Jesus, and I, I, personally I prefer the word follower of Jesus than I do Christian, I think it kind of says, it's like that Ron Seal test of saying what it says on the tin, you know. So if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, I think it begs this question, um, which is this, how do I live the way Jesus lived? How do I live the way Jesus lived? If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, how do I live like Jesus did? And this week starts the beginning of a three-week series all around this question, how do I live the way that Jesus lived? And today, in this first part, I want to make sure that by the time you leave here today, you're left with what I would call a gift. It's not a physical gift. There's no money in my pocket I'm handing out. But I really do believe there's a gift I want to give you this morning, a gift that I received a little while back from someone else about this topic of living the way that Jesus lived. And, and, and when I received this, it really profoundly impacted the way that I follow Jesus. And so I really believe it's going to be a gift for you today to help us see things in a slightly clearer way of how to live the way that Jesus lived. This, this way of looking at how Jesus lived and therefore how I lived, I promise you, has changed my walk with Jesus. And I believe it, it, it could and should change yours. But also it's challenged me to live more like Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. You know, and there's nothing like being a, a leader of a church, then you get challenged more about to follow Jesus. You know, you'd think that was the basic bit. But then you discover that's the everything bit. It's all about following Jesus and living like him. And so I want to share with that, that with you today. But before I do, I want to acknowledge that knowing something can put it into practice are two different things. So it's not just about kind of giving you some bit of knowledge, but it's about putting that into practice. And I, I want to maybe bring that to life by telling you of a recent story. Some of you have heard part of this story anyway, but, and some of you haven't. And it was about my experience of driving a Tesla car. Now, I don't want you getting worried. I know we had the family update last week and the church finances are doing better, right? But I haven't suddenly had a, a double pay rise, right? I can't afford a 50 grand car, right? But there's, it's a long story. There's a work scheme where you can lease cars. It's a lot cheaper and blah, blah, blah. And so in the midst of looking into that, uh, me and Karen went to go look at driving a Tesla car. And if you don't know anything about Teslas, you know, they're, they're, they're weird, Right, they're not a normal car. Let me show you this picture, right? This is what the inside of a Tesla looks like, right? And so you'll notice, like, there's no speedo. <laughs> there's minimal controls, like this completely blank dashboard, and then this massive iPad thing in the middle, right? And, and it's a completely different way of driving a car, right? And so um, it's, it's weird. Everything you want to do is on this central console, Right? If you want to make the windscreen wipers go faster, you've got to push something on the central console. If you want to change the, the vents from up here to down there, you've got to do so on the central console. Everything is on there, right? So it's a really different driving experience. And also, it's a car that drives itself. 
pretty much. And so um, when we were going to try out this car, I realized that I was going to have to learn or relearn how to drive a car. And so I watched a number of YouTube videos about this because I'm like, I want, you get 20 minutes to drive this car. That's it, right? 20 minutes. I'm like, I'll make the most of this. And so I was watching video after video after video of how the, how the touchscreen works and what you do there and how to put it into autopilot and what happens and all this stuff, how to speak to it. And so I was super excited to go and have my test drive on a Tesla with me and Karen. So um, it was actually Good Friday. After Good Friday service, that was our little treat for the afternoon. Go test drive a Tesla. And I'd, I'd swat it up on all my YouTube videos of how to learn to do this. And so we get this test drive in a Tesla, get into it. It's all very space agey and very weird. And uh, you go start the car and there's no engine sound at all. It's all electric. It's like, is it working? You know, and you put your foot on the pedal and it starts to glide off. And it's like, wow. And I discovered a few things in this experience. So firstly, I discovered it's super fast, right? So much so that Karen kept screaming, really, right, to slow down. Because every time I put the foot down, she's like, oh, I feel sick. What are you doing? Right? I've discovered I'm not used to, you know, my old diesel car. Right? I'm not used to a fast car, right? I discovered as well, as much as you put your foot on the accelerator and this thing goes like a rocket, you take your foot off the accelerator, it slows down like a rocket, hitting a wall or something, right? You know, you kind of, so Karen had this wonderful experience sitting next to me with this, right? And after, you know, all you do, you, the test drive place is over, you can try this yourself. If you're a driver, you can book it. 20 minutes in a Tesla, right? Right? It's a weird experience, right? And so you go from near the Dartford Crossing, and they're like, you've got 20 minutes. Our advice is drive to Blue Water and drive back. That, that, that'll do you about 20 minutes. So we drive to Blue Water with this kind of crazy experience, right? Of my wonderful driving. And so we get to Blue Water, and then I try and get the car to park itself, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. In the end, I'm thinking, this is not going well. Karen's not going to be super impressed with this car if I keep driving like this. So, so what I should do is get the car to drive itself, because it's a self-driving car to some extent. So um, I tell the sat-nav thing to, you know, Tesla, take us back to, um, you know, to the Tesla garage. It does the route, and we leave Blue Water. And I, I get on the A2, and I'm like, okay, you double-click this thing, and you engage autopilot. I'm like... This is amazing. I'm like, it's a much smoother than me, right? It's driving nice and smoothly. And then you go on the A2 and it knows you need to come off and it starts to, and like, I'm not touching the steering wheel. It's driving itself. It's coming off. It's like, wow, this is a crazy experience. Like, I've watched the video. I know what I'm doing, right? So we're coming down on this dual carriage. Well, I'm like, wow, this is a lot smoother. I'm like, okay, it can drive better than I can. And as we start to approach this roundabout, I'm like, I'd be slowing down by now. I'm sure I'd be slowing down by now. And Karen's saying to me, are you, are you touching anything? No, 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 I'm waiting for the car. We get like, I don't know, as far from here as where Karen is this roundabout. And I'm like, I think I'm going to stop this car. So I put my foot on the brake and again, right? You know, we still, right? It's like, you know, Karen's already traumatized enough, right? So I drive around the roundabout. Okay, we go back in another dual carriageway. Double click this back into your autopilot. I'm a bit wiser now. We're coming towards the second roundabout. I'm like, I'm waiting for it. It's not slowing down. I'm not going to let... So I, I, I take over from this wonderful, amazing car. We get back to the Tesla garage. I figure out auto park, put it in that, and the thing drives itself into... I'm like, this is amazing. So we go back into the, um, the, the place where they kind of give you the, the key, if you can call it a key. And... Um, and the woman says, oh, how did that go? You know, I said, well, actually, my wife was a bit sick, really. But I think that's my driving. I thought I just need to learn how to drive a bit better. I said, but it's... I'm not so sure it breaks early enough um, because we were approaching a roundabout and it was just, it was breaking very late. And she said to me, oh no, it doesn't understand roundabouts. You have to do them to yourself. 
Okay, fine. You know, what I discovered was watching all the videos was fascinating, but driving it was where I really learned. We actually drove it a second time. I drove it a lot better. And I didn't trust it with a roundabout either, right? You know, I, I could watch all those videos. I could read the manual. But there's something about the real experience is where you learn. You know, they, you could tell me about the fast acceleration and the fast deceleration. I had to relearn how to do that in the real moment of doing it. And I don't know if you've been ever like this, where, you know, you, you've seen a video or you've read a book and you think, it can't be that hard, can it? And then you go and do it. And you realize it is hard. The, the, the thing that someone else may look so super easy is not so easy to do. You know, you might have, uh, we, we used to love watching uh, uh, Bob, is it Bob Ross, the art of painting, was it called, right? You know, he does all these paintings, like, that's copy easy, isn't it? Just get all those things and suddenly trees appear and lakes appear, and, you know, and then you try and do it and you're like, oh, it's not as easy as it looks, right? You know, or Annie did pottery recently. I think Ros did some pottery as well. And it's like, you know, you, you watch all these people and they're like, Woo, making this vast, right? You know, so I don't know about you if you've ever had that experience. In, in the learning world, in the learning cycle, they, they call this thing called unconscious incompetence. And so there's a hundred things that you're unconsciously incompetent about. It's a blissful place to be. You don't realize you're no good at it because you never tried it. And then you go and try something and you become what they call consciously incompetent. You realize I can't do this, right? And then you either give up or you push on. And if you push on, you, you practice and you become consciously competent. You kind of, you're having to think about it, but you're able to do something. And then, you, you know, if you're a driver amongst us now, you're what's called unconsciously competent. You just do it. You just don't think about it. Just, you know. But so many things we, 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 you know, we realize that you can read all the books you want. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want. You can listen to someone else's experience all you want. It's not till you go and do it and live and breathe it is where the real learning happens. And the thing I think which is challenging about us as believers is, is the Bible. Now, you've got to know I love the Bible. You will often hear all of us preachers go on and on and on and on about reading your Bible. Because we believe in it. We believe it's, it's the word of God. It's the source of life. But the danger zone is that we become people who read the Bible and don't live the Bible. Because we don't want to be people who just amass knowledge. We don't, we don't want to be that. I mean, I, I know people don't like to be put on the spot. So anyone can answer this question, especially if you're super confident. Can anybody tell me the two most important commands in the Bible? Yep, so the first one I'm hearing a number of people mumbling together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second one is the neighbours in there somewhere, lay the neighbours yourself. Do you know what? It's so much easier to remember those than it is to do it. Right? You can impress anyone with remembering it. And God looks and says, well, that's great, fascinating, but, but can you do it? Can you live it? And it's so much easier to learn a scripture than it is to put it into practice. And learning scripture is tough enough at times. You know, but those two, you've got this general knowledge of like, yeah, you love the Lord, you've got everything you've got, love him. And love your neighbour as yourself. But, but living it and breathing it and putting it into practice is, is, is another thing, isn't it? It's a lifelong journey in actual fact. I mean, you, you, could, you could learn those two commands if you haven't already with some concentrated effort in, in a few days, I reckon, maybe a week. 
you know, read them three times a day throughout the week, you'll have them sussed by the end of the week. But it's a lifelong journey to learn how to love the Lord with everything you've got. It's a lifelong journey to learn how to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so what we see in the life of Jesus, if we look at this question about how do I live life the way that Jesus lived, what we discover is that Jesus never called us to gain knowledge. He called us to follow him. So I want to read to you from John, the book of John, chapter 1, 35 to 43. And it says this, it says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said. And then he followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking at, intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. You'd have seen in that passage there, this follow word emphasized a lot, and this rabbi word emphasized a lot, because Jesus, when he called people, called them to follow him. And they acknowledged him by this term rabbi. And we might look and go, that's just like an old, that's an old um, English or like a you know, first century version of pastor or vicar or teacher. But the word rabbi had a particular meaning back then. Because when someone called someone a rabbi, they, they were acknowledging that you are the person who I want to follow. It wasn't just an office. It wasn't just a title. You know, someone down the road could be the vicar. Right? But when you call someone your rabbi... It's a declaration saying, I'm going to follow you. And, and back then, this, this following, it was, it was like a, an apprentice. That's what these disciples and these followers of Jesus were. They were apprentices. They weren't just sitting and listening to the teaching. Often we you know, come to read the Bible and we see you know, Jesus teaching on hillsides. But the disciples lived with Jesus. They followed him. They followed him. And they imitated his way of life. You know, I was thinking about this idea of being an apprentice, and I was thinking about these YouTube videos, and just thinking about, you know, Dave Curtis, he's got a trade. You know, and I'm sure if I come to Dave and said, I can come and help you, Dave, I've watched 10 videos about spot welding, let me do some work for you, it'd be like, it doesn't work that way. Like, you're going to have to come and learn the trade. You're going to have to come and be my apprentice. You're going to have to do it and make mistakes and let me help you and teach you and guide you and watch what I'm doing and then you have a go. And then, you know, that's what an apprentice was. That, that's what this rabbi expression was. When they called him rabbi, they're saying, I'm going to be your apprentice. You know, those of you who were here to hear Phil Stokes preach a number of weeks ago, he, he touched on this a little bit. He touched on it when he spoke. He, he just mentioned in passing in some ways 
um, a verse from, from John as well, from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I love the way Phil put it. I wasn't here, but I listened to it back. I love the way Phil put it when he spoke about this thing about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, you know, so often in our Christian circles, we focused on the truth bit of Jesus. And we as charismatics, it's focused on the, the life bit of Jesus. But we've sometimes and maybe frequently underestimated the way bit of Jesus. Not just he's the way to heaven, but that he is the way. That the way that Jesus lived his life, he was saying, come and, come and imitate me. Come and follow me. Live life this way. Let me read to you again now this, this verse that I read to you earlier from the, from the message translation. And you'll hear this, this way that Jesus spoke about living his life. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you. That's what, a, that's what a master and apprentice relationship is. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Not I'll teach you. Not I'll write a book about it. Not I'll give you a five-point plan. I'll show you how to live life this way. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I am. Um, I watched, rewatched a bit of the Matrix the other day. It was on telly, and I was putting the telly on. And if for those of you who know the Matrix, don't matter if you don't. But in it, this idea is that kind of they got this thing that plugs in the back of their head, and and he needs to learn how to fly a helicopter, and they kind of just download the program, and suddenly he knows it. It's like, wouldn't it be great to live life that way? It's like suddenly I've got all these skills immediately. It doesn't work that way. You learn it. You learn it. Jesus said, if any of you want to be a follower of mine, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And so, you know, the, the, this, this aspect of understanding Jesus, I think, is about this invitation from Jesus. When we read that earlier about taking a real rest and being nourished by him. When you read in, uh, elsewhere in John, actually, when Jesus says, you know, um, the thief comes to steal and rob and destroy, but I've come that, that you might have life, and an abundant life, a fruitful life. He's not talking about a download. He's saying, come follow me, and you're going to learn a way of living where you experience these. And I really believe us as a church, maybe it's my experience, I think it's our experience, if it's not your experience, I believe it should be your experience, that God is calling us to move from learning about Jesus to living like Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I believe in learning. You know, in actual fact, it did help me watching those videos about the Tesla. It didn't help me with the roundabout. That would have been a nice bit of advanced advice, but you know, right? But it did help me, but it only goes so far. You know, and so the, the things that we've learned about Jesus are really helpful. But the calling is live like Jesus. You know, and Jesus sets this pattern. The way that Jesus taught his disciples, and then when he, he, he does the Great Commission, and he says to them, go make disciples, he, he sets a pattern. And the way that Jesus set this pattern was, follow my example, so that others can follow your example. That's the, that's the way of discipleship. That we look at the way of Jesus and we follow his example. And then others 
who are trying to find Jesus, we go, look, follow me. This is the way I, I mean, Paul was very audacious when he said this in Corinthians. He says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And we look at that and go, oh, I'm not sure I could do that. But that is, that's the normative. That's the normal Christian experience. That's what's meant is that we follow the way that Jesus lived. And that's why I think this series, this, these next three weeks about living the way that Jesus lived is important. The, the thing that's helpful, and this is the thing that I want to give to you this morning that I believe is really helpful, is kind of boiling that down. Because it's like, okay, I've got to live the way Jesus lived. But he lived 2,000 years ago. It was a very different culture, a very different kind of economic climate and a different language, a different history. You know, there's a lot of the, the you know, if you, even if you just read the four Gospels to understand the way Jesus lived, it's like, which bits do I copy? And, and so I think there's something about kind of boiling it down and going, how do we see the way that Jesus lived life? And this is where I want to share with you, and I want to do it actually through a video, because I think they'll explain it much better than I will, and then I'll reflect back on that afterwards. And so just have a little look at this video, and, and it'll, it's just going to break it down, of just kind of looking at the way that Jesus lived life. So Chris, can you play the video for us? Thank you. To be a disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus, growing in his character, while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation, lived where you lived or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. It's the pattern of his whole life and ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray. But this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals, how each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with and he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up, in, and out. 
most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third. But rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after His, to learn His ways, and to let His power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, when a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red-hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in, and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible. Thank you, Chris. That was going to be so much better than my bit. You know, I, um, I found this video only recently, but the principle of Up, In and Out, um, I found about a year ago. And it, like I said, it's really, really changed my understanding, or I suppose really clarified my understanding of what it means to really follow Jesus. I love all these sort of things anyway. And those of you who know me, love, I love a model, kind of these things. You know, that's why I sometimes draw diagrams and pictures on the... On, on the PowerPoints for this. But what I love about this is actually rooted in the life of Jesus. And it's one of those things that if you then start reading, particularly the Gospels, which is where we see Jesus' life, you will see this. You'll see it over and over again. You'll see, actually, I can see Jesus is off spending time with Father. I can see Jesus is spending time with his disciples. And I can see him spending it, reaching out into the world around. And this is the pattern of Jesus' life. And so, you know, what I've discovered is in this is that in this way, we get to live the way that Jesus lived. And there's a contextualization. Big long word. Contextualization is, you know, you have to put it into your context. Like he said, it's not so much what would Jesus do, but what, who would Jesus be if he was in your circumstance with your family and your job and your neighbors and your income and your challenges and your health and all those things? Who would Jesus be? And the pattern that he created for us when he says, come and follow me, is this pattern. And it is not, um, it's not a leap. I'm not stretching scripture to believe or to say that when the, the disciples spent time with Jesus, he was showing them, here's how to live life. That's what this rabbi relationship was. That even, even disciples of rabbis would wear the same clothes of them. They'd eat when they ate the same food that they ate. They would mimic everything. It's like, I want to follow after your life. And so Jesus is following them. So Jesus is showing them an example to follow. If you've got a really good memory, you'll remember when I was preaching through the, the book of Mark. You know, I didn't preach through the whole of Mark, but I got through the first couple of chapters. And there was this bit in the beginning of Mark where Jesus is, is healing. It is an amazing healing ministry, this outer bit. People are coming to him and, and, and there's more and more healing going on. And then when they wake up in the morning, they go, where's Jesus gone? There's more people that want healing. Where is Jesus? He's doing the up bit. He's up, he's out of a quiet place. And, and Peter says to him, Jesus, we, we've got to go back to this people. And Jesus says, no, there's, there's other people we've got to go to. And then he starts teaching the disciples how to live that way. He's forever doing this up in and out thing. You know, this, this up bit, this time spent in the presence of God 
is one of the most profound things that impacts our spiritual life. But it's not just about that. Some of us were doing this Be Still course where we were learning pretty much the up bit, how to be still with God. But God never called us to be like monks in a monastery or nuns in a convent locked away from the world. He called us to, to reach out to the world around us. And Jesus does that. He reaches out to the people in the broken places. And, you know, you and I, we've been placed in, in dark places. You have been uniquely positioned where you are to be a light in that place. Not just to spend time in the quiet room with Jesus, as much as I love that and encourage it, but to be out in the world around us. And he's also called us to be here. In church, but not just in this building on a Sunday morning. There's so much more to the in bit than coming together here. How we love each other. How we encourage one another. How we stir up one another. How we spend time praying together and lifting one another up in prayer. And how we speak into each other's lives and how we help each other out. This all the in bit. And so, when I look at the Bible, is Jesus lived this way. And then he took 11 disciples who followed him that way. And then Paul did. Paul followed it as well. And these 12 people changed the world because they lived the way that Jesus lived. They, they didn't change the world just through teaching. They, they changed the world through the way they lived lives. They, we read this in, in Acts that they devoted themselves to prayer and the word of God. That's what they did. But they also... They planted churches, they made disciples, they did what Jesus told them to do, of go and make disciples. And they also went into the world. Paul speaks in the marketplace to those with the, the God, with the, you know, the, the statue of, to a God with an unknown, an unknown God. And he goes out there into the world and speaks into that as well. We see this in Acts. That's, why, that's how I can feel confident that the pattern that Jesus did, the disciples learned, because you see it in the book of Acts, them replicating the same pattern. And so, you know, for us to be followers of Jesus... It's not just about learning the word of God, and I believe in that, right? And I don't want to, again, you know, I'll forever find myself preaching things and going, oh, I might be being heretical here. I hope I never am. But I always feel like I'm maybe saying things that not many other people say or maybe pushing the bounds of something. But, you know, I believe the whole of the word of God is all inspired. It's all, even, even the weird bits, right? It's all God's breathed word. But... If you want to learn how Jesus lived, the Gospels are the clearest bit. I don't mean just read the Gospels, and I don't mean just read the words that Jesus said. But I mean, if you really want to follow Jesus, then it's really worthwhile reading the Gospels and going, how did Jesus live? Because it clarifies the rest of the Word of God. And so all I wanted to do this week, in this three-week series, because we're going to get through quite a bit here, thinking about this following Jesus in this up, in and out, all I wanted to do was really make you aware of this way of looking at the Bible and the way of looking at your life. Because the one thing I've discovered is Jesus and the Holy Spirit are so much better at discipling you than I am. As much as I want to teach and preach and speak into your life, I've discovered that the most refining thing in my life is when God speaks to me. And what I've found, and I pray this helps you as well, is this lens... It's a little bit like, and me and Karen have experienced this, when we're not going to get a Tesla, but we're looking at another car... And as we do, we become so much more aware of cars on the road. I've never seen as many, what is it, CHR? Is, what is it, right, the, the car Kerry's got, until Kerry got it. I didn't even know they existed. Then I saw them everywhere. It's like, wow, yeah, there's loads of these, isn't there? It's like, 
Because when we are aware of something, it's like our eyes open and we see it more. It's, it's a very human thing. It's confirmation bias, that's what it's called, right? So we, we know something and then we see it more. We become more aware of it. And I want to make you aware of this dimension that our lives as following Jesus has these three parts to it. The up bit of spending time with Jesus. The in bit of being in a body. Loving one another, encouraging one another, fellowshipping together, and an outbit into the world around you that God has placed you in. And most of your learning and growth is going to come not through this sermon or through the next two weeks, but it's going to come from you seeing that in Scripture and seeing it in your life and looking and going, wow, like they said this morning on that little video, it's like most people are good at one of them, and they're all right at two, and they're not very good at a third. And the more you see this, the more you look and go, wow, I'm actually a little bit like a three-legged stool with some uneven legs. There's a bit of imbalance going on in my life. There's a bit that God is beckoning me into that says, I want you to go deeper in, I don't know, maybe deeper in the up. Just spending more time with him. Maybe that's the bit that's lacking. Maybe that's the bit that's missing. Or maybe it's in the out bit that there's no outward part of your life of reaching out into the world around you. Or maybe it's the in bit of just being in the church and fellowship and love. And I don't know. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so my gift to you this morning is to see this life of Jesus in these three dimensions. I encourage you to just read any bit of the gospel. Read a chapter or two. Pick one of the gospels. Read a couple of chapters and look. And you will see Jesus moving amongst these three aspects. Speaking into the life of the disciples and those he was teaching. Reaching out to the world around him. Healing. And and, and reaching out into a broken world. And spending time with the Father. You will see it. And so I I would encourage you to do that. Because as you do that, you'll move from just some video that was on YouTube. Or some whizzy expression up in and out. And you'll go, this is what Jesus did. And I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to be like Jesus. And also, use it to look at your own life. Take five minutes at the end of a day or the end of a week, if you've got a good memory, and go, where has my life been this week? Have I spent time upwards with the Father? Have I spent time outwards into the world around me that God has placed? Have I spent time with believers, encouraging others, loving them, serving one another? And I I really do believe that in that, God will speak to you. In a far more profound way than a sermon will. I really do. Because he's our greatest shepherd. He's our greatest teacher. And so I just want to close by saying, you know, I, I, I think one of the best things you can ever do is make a decision to follow Jesus. I really do. It's the most profoundly impacting thing you can ever do in your life. But second to that, I think the best thing you can ever do is make a decision to follow Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like we all look back at that day when we go, I gave my life to the Lord. There are other moments in life, and sometimes multiple of them, where God brings you to your knees and goes, are you really going to follow me? And um, I haven't got time this morning. It wasn't my plan. I'm going to share with you next week. Or is it on the third week? I forget the way this three-week series pans out. But I will share with you in, in the coming weeks. One of those moments for me. Where I'm like, man, I'm not really following you, Jesus. I've shaped this Christian walk after my own life, not after yours. I've shaped it after the way I'm shaped, not the way you are. And some of this stuff of just seeing that Jesus had this upwards dimension with the Father, an inward dimension with the disciples, and an outward dimension to the world around him. You start to see the shape of Jesus. And then you start to realize that your own life's not shaped exactly the same way. 
And again, you're faced with the same decision where Jesus says, do you want to follow me? Should we try doing life my way? Do you want to learn the unforced rhythms of grace? Do you want to take my yoke upon you? Because if you do, I've got an abundant life. I've got rest beyond the world understands. So can I ask you to stand as an action of, of getting some air in your lungs and also uh, almost a response really. I mean, you know what's really responded in your own heart, but you can stand anyway. And let's just pray. And maybe have your own conversation with God. You don't have to listen to me pray. Maybe you have your own one, but I'll pray for us um, in this moment as well. Jesus, we thank you that you lived and breathed as a man upon this planet. We thank you that you lived a life that's worth following. And we thank you we have a word of God that tells us about the life you lived. Help us, Lord, not just to be people who acquire knowledge about you, but in our relationship with you become more like you. And Lord, maybe today there's been a penny dropping, Lord, that becoming more like you isn't just some magical transforming thing that happens, but it's actually done by copying you. It's done by actually living life your way. It's done by the everyday conscious decisions we make, Lord, whether we choose to follow your way or not. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you and I invite you this very day and this very week to minister into every person's life who's listening to this sermon, that they would have their own moments of seeing where you're at work in their life and where you are beckoning them to come deeper with you. And just like Sam Stevens' testimony this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes that's scary going into the parts of our life that we're not used to. We so often say, Lord, take me deeper, um, but then we want to stay where we are. So we ask for your help as you beckon us deeper with you. Lord, we just want to follow you, Jesus. We want to be more like you. Lord, we want to live a life like you that's worth others imitating. Because all we're doing is reflecting your life, Jesus. We need your help. Would you come and help us, Lord? Would you come and help us, Lord? We need you. We need you. God, we can't do it without you. Don't let us do it in our own strength, Lord. Would you come and do this in our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen.